0: This is the podcast by The Straits Times. Hi, I'm Joyce Teo. Welcome to Health Check, a podcast series by The Straits Times. Today, we're going to look at issues concerning women and children. Last week, the Ministry of Health said during the debate on its budget that it has set up a task force to oversee the development and implementation of a five-year plan that aims to provide comprehensive support to women and their children. This is part of its larger efforts to improve the population's health. This is motivated by science both overseas and locally that shows that a mother's health can directly influence her child's development. So today we have invited a member of the MOH work group looking into the strategies for this plan. He is Professor Chong Yap Singh, the Dean of the National University of Singapore's Lin School of Medicine and the Executive Director of the Singapore Institute for Clinical Sciences at the Agency for Science, Technology and Research. Prof Chong is also an obstetrician and the lead principal investigator of a local research study that started in 2009 to study how conditions in pregnancy and early childhood influence the health and development of women and their children. It's called GUSTO, or Growing Up in Singapore Towards Healthy Outcomes. Hi Prof, welcome to HealthChat.
1: Good morning Joyce, nice to see you again.
0: Glad to have you here with us on the program. So you're part of this new maternal and child health work group, right? that the MOH has set up to look into strategies that will support women and children. Can you share with us, you know, tell us what are some of the possible strategies that will be looked at
1: in Singapore? Okay, Uh, thanks Joyce for the question. So I I think, uh, let me start with the fact that Singapore has one of the best health systems in the world. Some of the lowest maternal and child mortality rates anywhere, as well as the highest life expectancy at birth. However, in, in the 21st century, I think we should aim for a lot more. Uh, the WHO definition for health is a state of complete physical, mental and social well-being and not merely the absence of disease or infirmity. During pregnancy, the early years of childhood, you have a lot of opportunities where you can uh, have various interventions that will get the child off to the best start. But right? if you wait for things to go wrong and try and fix them later, then you know, there's a lot of effort required and uh, often the results are suboptimal.
0: Right. So what are the, some of these interventions
1: then? Our research and others have shown that the woman's health, nutritional status and uh, emotional state before they get pregnant uh, is uh, very important. So uh, if a woman is uh, already uh, unwell emotionally because of stresses, uh, when they enter pregnancy, it's going to get worse. Uh, and probably even worse after the delivery of the child because now there's a you know, uh, you have to take care of a young child. So uh, another thing to watch out for is the uh, physical state of the mother. So one of our strategies is to help uh, women in the reproductive age group uh, be mentally and physically prepared for uh, pregnancy if they are planning a child. Uh, to edu- and we can do that through education, mainly making them aware that um, you know, of what's important Uh, And then, of course, providing the necessary support, uh, you know, uh, through societal measures as well as uh, policies. So, for example, if you uh, get employers to have the right work policies for women so that they are not penalised if they get uh, pregnant uh, and have to take leave during the pregnancy or after the pregnancy. So a wonderful thing is that the Singapore government has recently uh, really focused on uh, women's uh, rights and equality Uh, And so this is the year of celebrating SG Women, right? So, um, and you know, one of the issues that we brought up is that uh, because the men in Singapore all do national service at the age of 18 and then have a 10-year commitment to reservist training. When they enter the workforce, normally they are given a higher pay to allow for the two years of national service. It seems that women never catch up. So there's always a pay gap. But the thing that we forget is that women also do national service. Uh, they get pregnant and they bear children, which is absolutely essential for Singapore's survival. Pregnancy is uh, nine, ten months of difficult physical, physiological conditions. Uh, labor is uh, no joke. I mean, I'm an obstetrician. I deliver babies for a living. So I can vouch that going through labor and delivery is really difficult. It's probably more difficult than an obstacle course or much uh, in an army. You know? In And Asian as artists at Singapore, often the burden of childbearing is left to the woman uh, very much so, especially in, in my generation. I, I believe it's getting better uh, for the younger people. Traditionally, a lot of that is left to the mother. And of course, some things can only be done by the mother, like breastfeeding the child. And, and when women go through pregnancy and then they take maternity leave, uh, often their careers are impeded to some extent. If women are, are stressed, uh, their, their stress hormones will pass through into the to the baby and that will affect the baby's brains.
0: So what's the evidence for this?
1: In the first week of life, uh, parts of the baby's brains are affected by the exposures to stress uh, from the mother uh, and that can lead to the baby. developing uh, suboptimally in terms of their learning abilities, their ability to control their emotions uh, and and their ability to uh, cope well and be happy in school. To to do this, you can't just have a doctor diagnosing that woman is stressed and treating her because the stress doesn't go away with a doctor's treatment. The stress comes from the the employment that she uh, is engaged in. It comes from the home. Uh, environment that she has to cope with. So uh, it needs a whole of society, whole of government effort to really make things better for women. And we're not doing this just for women, we're doing this for the next generation.
0: So if you like what you're hearing so far, please subscribe to the Health Chat podcast for free on your favorite smartphone apps, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. Like us and give us a rating. And now back to our conversation with Professor Chong Yap Singh on child and maternal health. Right, so you mentioned this study. That's the Gusto study, right? Can you tell us, you know, what's so special about this Gusto study and the latest findings?
1: Sure. Gusto is an acronym for Growing Up in Singapore Towards healthy Outcomes. This was a study that we launched in uh, 2009, and in this study, we recruited about thousand over thousand two hundred uh, women uh, in the first twelve weeks of pregnancy, and we followed the women and their babies throughout the pregnancy the families uh, ever since the birth of the child all the way through to now. The oldest child turned um, 11 years of age last November. We decided to study a very broad range of aspects of health uh, and the life of these children. So we recorded everything about their background demographics, the physical health of the uh, subjects, as well as the emotional health, and then the nutritional status. Uh, and then we use very precise measurements of their, uh, of their health. So example would be we did a whole body magnetic resonance imaging or MRI of the child when they were one week of life. This has never been done at such a scale anywhere in the world before we did it. And so we were able to really look very deeply into the brain or the, the, the body of the child to see the effects of what the pregnancy uh, you know, had on, on the child. Um, So that's a good example. And then another example will be the very detailed uh, neurocognitive test that we did on the children. So at one day of life, we put on an EEG net onto the baby's head and measured the uh, EEG or uh, electroencephalographic um, patterns of the child's brain functions. Uh, And then at uh, six months of life, we did very detailed testing of the child's uh, brain development. A lot of other people then will get parental reports of what the child was doing, but that's very um, imprecise. What we did was that we showed the, brought the child into our uh, into our clinic. We showed them various images on the uh, computer screen and then using a camera to track the eye movements, we were able to see what they were looking at, what they were focusing on, what they remembered, uh, you know, and what they were distracted by. And this was a very good way to, to track the, the development of their focus, their attention, their learning abilities. And then uh, we did a Bailey's test at two years of life, which is a, a classic way of observing a child and recording their responses and measuring their development of their intelligence. And th- another thing that we did was we developed a whole child assessment panel, which we perform at the child's home at four years of life. So we went to 800 of the children's homes And we did this two-hour test um, basically to look at not only the pre-academic skills like uh, the memory functioning, the phonics, the vocabulary, the numeracy, um, the recognition of objects, but very importantly also the emotional regulation, uh, which which is critical. At the age of four, uh, executive functioning or the ability to control themselves, sit down, sit still, listen to the teacher and pay attention is much more important than IQ uh, in terms of their ability to cope in school. What is important was that these studies were done on Singaporean children in in the Singapore setting. So we could be very confident that a lot of the findings were relevant to Singapore and a lot of the uh, observations, uh, insights that we gained could be translated into interventions in Singapore.
0: Prof, what were some of the findings that were specific to the population here?
1: One of the earliest findings uh, was that uh, because we tested all the mothers for gestational diabetes during the pregnancy, we found that, to our surprise, that the rate of gestational diabetes was about 20%, when previously, you know, we always thought it was 10%. And what we found was that because we were, at that time, only testing mothers who were high-risk, for gestational diabetes, so if they had family history or if they were overweight, then we tested them. Uh, because we were doing that, we were routinely missing half the women uh, with gestational diabetes. And and the other thing that we found was that the women who had gestational diabetes had a you know two in ten chance of going on to become diabetic or pre diabetic themselves uh, within five years of giving birth to that child or being diagnosed. With Gestational diabetes, And when we told the uh, Ministry of Health this back in 2015, they reacted very fast. Within, uh, you know, in a space of three years, they made it into a health policy in Singapore. So now all women in Singapore who are pregnant will be tested for gestational diabetes. Right.
0: So the GASTO study, do you look at the, you know, the mental health uh, of the mother
1: and the child? Yes. That, that is one of the main uh, areas of focus for the GASTO study. So. Uh, uh, another very important finding was that if the mothers were stressed during pregnancy, and we measured this by using questionnaires for depressive symptoms or anxiety. So what we found was that it uh, uh, was quite scary in that almost four in 10 mothers, or 40% of the mothers, had very high levels of depressive symptoms. Uh, not necessarily uh, high enough to be clinically depressed that you would you don't want to... Uh, actually, treat them. So, ten percent of them were clinically depressed, but another thirty percent had high levels of depressive symptoms. Um, so, what we found was that if this mother had high levels of depressive symptoms, when we did the MRI at one week of life, the child's brain was uh, affected. So, one part of the brain that is called the right amygdala, which processes negative emotions, was particularly affected. So, suggesting that if the mothers were depressed the child would have a higher chance of mood anxiety disorders. This was what we found at one week of life. When we repeated the MRI at four and a half years of life, the findings were still there. So it's a, it's a finding that persists in the brain on MRI. When we tested the whole child panel on the child at four years of life, uh, we found that mothers were either clinically depressed or high levels of depressive symptoms, the, the children would be perform much worse compared to children of mothers uh, who didn't have high levels of depressive symptoms. This whole child panel that I mentioned has a very high accuracy uh, in predicting children that will require learning support when they enter primary one. And for children who are deficient, especially in numeracy and literacy, they'll be put into special learning support programs um, to try and help them catch up. Unfortunately, Uh, you know, a lot of the children who enter these learning support programs never graduate from them. By the time they enter primary one, they're about six or seven years of age. Uh, And the early years are the sensitive periods when children can, uh, you know, learn certain things like, as I mentioned, emotional regulation and executive functioning, uh, which can help them cope well in school. But if they miss that period, then uh, it's very hard for them to catch up because it's not a matter of just hard work uh, or tuition. Uh, they have to have the ability to focus uh, and, you know, uh, and concentrate on tasks and to pay attention. So those things, unfortunately, is hard to teach uh, beyond a certain age. So, uh, so in Gusto, we are very, very focused on this, that uh, the state of the mother during pregnancy, not only her physical health, but her mental health, is critical in getting the child the best start to life. And then for the child... Uh, it's important for us to give them the right kind of early learning environment.
0: Right. So, Prof. I mean, you mentioned this: the children being affected. So, does that mean that all the children of women who show depressive symptoms they have these mood changes in the brain?
1: Uh, if mothers were stressed, the child have a higher risk of these problems because the the, the effects on the brain are not there. But it can be ameliorated by, uh, you know, the early learning environment or the amount of nurture the parents provide to the child when they are born. So, uh, when a child is born, it's very important for them to interact with, you know, adult faces and adult uh, talking to them, uh, stimulating them. And if you get enough of that, sometimes some of the other effects of during the pregnancy, uh, you know, are overcome. So the early learning environment is very important. Some examples of this would be. Um, whether you read to a child, right? So, um, unfortunately, uh, in the Gusto study, we found that uh, less than half of the parents read, uh, you know, more than one hour, you know, read more than five books uh, a week to the child. So uh, the effect is such that if a child is less exposed to less than one hour a week of reading by by a parent to them, uh, the the effect on their brain functioning, IQ, phonics and vocabulary is affected. Uh, And it's especially so in poorer families. In richer families, I guess there are other sources of uh, uh, stimulation, you know, uh, from the other, their stronger social support system. So, however, once we found that in children who get more than one hour a week of stimulation and reading to them by their parents or caregivers, then, you know, They do, both the poor families and the rich families, uh, they do equally well. In fact, the poor families maybe do a little better. You know, just reading 10 minutes a day to a child. So that's more than one hour a week if you do it every day. uh, You know, would have a very major positive impact on a child. The World Health Organization recommends that below the age of one, a child shouldn't uh, watch TV or get much screen time exposure. Right. So in Singapore, unfortunately, more than 90% of children watch more than one hour of TV a week, uh, below the age of one. That's not from the Gusto study, right? No, open... it's from the Gusto study.
0: Oh, it is? Okay.
1: So, um, and see, it's not that TV is bad or screens are bad. It's just that if it's passive, uh, you know, watching of a screen, um, then there's no interaction and there's no stimulation of the child's mind by uh, a parent or a caregiver. If you watch more TV or screen time, have more screen time, you will definitely have less physical activity and be more prone to overweight and obesity. We published a paper in 2019 that uh, for every one hour of TV time uh, per day uh, that a child uh, uh, spends, there's a minus 1.55 IQ point effect on a child. So uh, if children watch more than... uh, 10 hours of TV a week, then they have a, uh, you know, six times risk of uh, having an IQ in the intellectual disability range. Especially unsupervised screen viewing with little interaction uh, can be a very significant problem, both in terms of brain development, as well as uh, physical, uh, you know, overweight and obesity.
0: Mm. Contrary to what some people think, that <laughs> yes. you, know, you watch TV and you learn stuff, right? Like,
1: Maybe it will help. Yeah. So I think TV viewing later on in life is, uh, I mean, uh, you will still eat into your physical activity time, but basically it's not the same as in early life, uh, below the age of one, below the age of two. So below age of two, uh, WHO recommends uh, no more than one hour of uh, TV viewing or screen time, right?
0: Okay, interesting. So read to your child and then no screen time when they are really young, right? what's your diet and the mental health. So actually based on these gastro studies, I mean, what, what else would you, you know, what other tips would you give to women who are planning pregnancies, new mothers?
1: Number one is uh, don't wait too long. In, most animals don't actually have a clear menopause state, but unfortunately human women uh, do experience menopause normally at the age of 50 or so, but some will start to have that even in the 40s. And the the... the and beyond menopause the fertility drops very quickly uh in the 30s in singapore it looks like the average age of uh, time of having the first child is now 31 not so uh, years of age to replace ourselves we need 2.1 children per couple because always some you know some people may not survive uh, childhood so uh we are far from there start the families earlier don't wait too long uh Two is that um, get yourself into the right shape. And I'm not just talking about uh, physical, but also mental state. So that means a lot of preparation so that you know what to expect and also uh, having a very positive mindset on things. So one of the interesting things about gusto findings was that we found, I think we are first in the world to discover that women who have a positive mindset during pregnancy have children whose... Uh, whose executive functioning seems to be better. They have better mastery of themselves. They're able to uh, sit still, pay attention, focus better uh, than, you know, women who don't uh, have a positive attitude. And we're not talking about comparing them with negative women with stress. Just normal versus those with a more positive attitude. It's not just making sure that uh, you you don't have any disease. It's making sure that you remain, uh, you know, Relatively stress-free, positive. Uh, do make sure that you watch your weight during pregnancy. Don't put on too much weight. Because a lot of... Unfortunately, I think a lot of uh, the older generation think that, oh, you know, you need to eat extra during pregnancy to be healthy, to have a healthy baby. But actually, that's not true. You don't eat for two when you're pregnant. What you need to do is to think twice about what you eat during pregnancy so that uh, and, and how much physical activity you do so that you maintain... Uh, healthy weight gain, for entire pregnancy, uh, the normal healthy weight gain is between 11.5 to 16 kilograms, depending on what your body mass index was when you entered pregnancy. So a rough guide is that beyond the first three months of pregnancy, uh, you know, put on no more than half a, cal- a kilogram a week. And, but of course, if you are entering pregnancy overweight, then you should be putting on less. If you're entering pregnancy underweight, you should be putting on a bit more.
0: This is because gaining too much weight in pregnancy can affect the mother's health, right? As she may have a higher risk of developing gestational diabetes. So Prof, I wanted to ask you about this. Um, you mentioned earlier that if a mother has good mental health during her pregnancy, her child will have less problems with executive functioning and so on. So I mean, if a woman has poor mental health during her pregnancy and her child ends up with these problems, you know, what can you do to make it better?
1: Okay, so I uh, you. that's a good, great question. But the answer is not simple, right? Because women with uh, who are undergoing stresses have often have reasons for that. So um, uh, it's not just treating or supporting the woman. You have to sort of uh, work on the environment that they're in. So um, so so if, if a woman is being not being supported by at home or at work, uh, it's going to be very hard for them to you know bring themselves out of that situation, right? So that's that's. One thing that needs to be uh, carefully dealt with as well, and of course, if a mother is already stressed or undergoes, you know, a, a true postnatal depression, um, which happens, uh, in you know, in about ten percent of women uh, anywhere in the world, it's easier to put a child in front of a TV uh, to occupy themselves than to try and interact with them. Um, so, so I think uh, it's a complex issue. It needs a lot of uh, effort, uh, you know, from the uh, social workers, from family members, maybe uh, extended family members, and even uh, neighbours and community uh, to step in to help uh, certain people.
0: I see. So the key is still to keep interacting with the baby.
1: Yes. I think uh, early interaction with the child, nurturing the child, stimulating the child, uh, helps the the child's brain's uh, neural networks to form properly. Uh, And uh, if if you don't, then they don't get formed properly, and that's when you have all these issues.
0: Right. Interesting. So actually, so now GASTO, it's been more than 10 years, right? So what's next, actually?
1: Okay. So as I mentioned, the children in GASTO started turning 11 years of age in November 2020. So we are very excited. Uh, Over the next year, the children will be taking PSLE. So um, that, that I'm not. It's not that we want to see how well they perform. Just that PSLE is the is the first common examination that all them will taking because all the different schools have the different assessments. So it's hard to compare them. But uh, with this one common uh, assessment, we ca- we can see the relative performance of the children. And it's again not so much the academic performance that we care. We're trying to see the exposures in early life, before pregnancy, during pregnancy. Uh, in the early years of life, how they influence their their ability to you know cope well in school, uh, and of course, beyond PSLE, the children become teenagers, right? And um, teen teenage years are the years when a lot of uh, identity crisis happen and social issues uh, arise. So uh, we are very excited uh, to have the opportunity to study this with the background of Gusto because Gusto has collected all the information on these children even before they are born. And we have, uh, we have covered everything about the nutrition, the upbringing, the education, the uh, caregivers. Uh, and we we'll even have the ge- genetics uh, mapped out uh, as well as uh, you know other omics, uh, metabolomics, epigenetics and stuff. So we can use all these things to control, to make sure that the outcomes that we are studying take into account everything in a background. So I think this is truly the first study of adolescence where we have this amount of biological and uh, physiological and phenotypic information on the children. And we have engaged a uh, large group of uh, soci- social scientists uh, across Singapore to help us understand this. So we have experts looking at cyberbullying. Uh, we have experts looking at uh, um, self-control, um, self-esteem. Uh, and, and yeah, it'll be a fantastic study. I mean, I hope, uh, you know, I, I'm not an expert on adolescent psychology, so but I, I'm, ex- I'm really excited at the prospect of what we can find in the next... The data is there. Yeah. How long will this study last, actually? Oh, so if I had my uh, wish fulfilled, I would like to see Gusto go on to at least 25 years of age for the children. So by then, they'll be a fully formed young adult. Uh, you know, I would like to see this Study go on all the way into uh, old OH age as well, because then we can then begin to understand uh, the drivers of uh, healthy lifespan or health span. So, and you can't study, uh, you know, what drives health span without understanding early life, because a lot of what we happens to a person uh, in pregnancy, uh, in early childhood, will determine their long term health trajectories.
0: Thanks for your time today, Prof. Chong.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Joyce. Uh, It's been a pleasure talking to you.
0: Well, that's a wrap for Health Check, a podcast series by The Straits Times. Don't forget to subscribe to us for free on your favourite smartphone apps, Apple Podcasts, Spotify or Google Podcasts. Search for Straits Times Health Check, like us and give us a rating. Thank you for listening. That was an SPH podcast by The Straits Times.